When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Emmy winner Lynn Whitfield headlines the Prince George's Film Festival this Sunday at MGM National Harbor. She joined me to reflect on her prolific career, from the Josephine Baker story to Eve's Bayou to Greenleaf. Hey, Lynn Whitfield. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP in D.C. Well, thanks for having me. We really, really appreciate it. You are an icon of the screen, and you're going to be coming to our area for the Prince George's Film Festival. Uh, it runs September 28th through October 1st. Um, now, I know you'll be participating on the last day, the closing brunch slash, you know, the award ceremony on the Sunday the 1st. Um, how'd, they, how'd they reach out to you? Like, what's the connection? Well, you know, I went to Howard University, so uh, I'm connected that way to place... Um, my my I have relatives who are working with the festival. My sister Sherry is is working with the festival. And um, but I don't know how they <laughs> decided that I would have the honor of of being at the closing brunch and the awards brunch and and, you know, just wanting to speak to me. I guess it just comes with the years of being here and doing the work, you know. Absolutely. You've definitely done the work um, and we can get into some of that great work in a minute. But just uh, one more on the, um, you know, on the actual event. Like I know that I think it says there's going to be a and a with you moderated by journalist Harriet Cole. It also says you, you're they call you the keynote speaker. So are you actually doing in addition to the Q&A, are you doing like an actual speech as well? Uh, actually, no, it's going to be a conversation between okay. us. And I always think that they're better because. They um, conversations allow it to be more spontaneous and sometimes even, you know, a, an audience member may have a question, you know, because when you give a speech, you don't always know what people want to hear about or what they're curious about. You're just kind of talking and assuming that, you know, so I like conversations because of that. You know, it really allows uh, the audience, I think, to get a a closer, more intimate view of of who I am and the art, and it allows for more anecdotes and things about specific projects. I just, I just think it's a nice format. I agree entirely, and kind of like the format we're doing now, except they'll get to see it in, you in person. <laughs> um, exactly. Awesome. Well, you mentioned you know you went to to Howard University. That's the DC connection. But I want to take it take me back even even before that because I know you're born in in Baton Rouge before you made your way up up to the DC area. I want to know like growing up. Well, I know you're. I think I read your dad wrote musicals too, and like an art uh, sort of your parents were sort of artsy as well. But like. 
how did you get into it? You know, like what, what I want to, I always love hearing like what movies you watched growing up, you know, like what were your, what were your go-tos as a kid? Well, as a kid, I loved all of the glamour and the drama. <laughs> um, and I loved musicals, yeah. uh, you know, watching them. I loved all the dance. I loved, um, you know, it was just such precision and all. I always loved Betty Davis, <laughs> Marilyn Monroe, Audrey Hepburn um, were my favorites. And when I was so fortunate as to see, you know, brown faces like mine on the screen, I just fell in love with Ruby D. Mm. Um as, as an actress. So I, I always just wanted to do it. And my grandmother would allow me to, uh, she would sneak me up into the den. That's what we called it then, <laughs> the den, and watch the million dollar movie, uh, which came on at that time, it would be considered late. And she would let me sneak up and we would watch it because we lived with my grandmother. And it was pretty one night I just turned to her and I said, grandmommy, I'm going to be an actress just like that when I grow up. Mm -hmm. And I remember her being so sweet. I think we were watching, you know, like dark victory or some, one of those old movies with Betty, Betty Davis. Davis. <laughs> yes. And she's, you know, walking downstairs and hands and pockets and say, yeah. and it's, so I, I told her that I wanted to be just, I know, I don't know what my face looked like, but I know in my heart, it was such a sincere, uh, vision that I had for my life and but and I remember her turning to me and and she turned to me in that southern bell kind of way and she said oh that's nice darling and I even then felt that she had condescended to yeah. my dream <laughs> like black like the old bless your heart <laughs> I know bless your heart exactly but I knew it was just so strong in me. It, it was such a strong passion that I would do it well. And, and it didn't matter that, that she just thought it was cute, you know? Yeah. Um, because I, I, and I didn't put any thought into it, even as I got older and was in high school, I didn't put any thought into how difficult it could be you know, what a challenge it was. Cause you don't see the, you see the one person who made it. You don't see the thousand people uh, who maybe try or the 150 people who tried for the same role. You just see the one who got the role. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's great. Well, I'm glad that you, you know, you, you proved them all wrong and you actually did, you did make it a career. Um, So you came to DC at Howard University. I believe I read like, maybe you're like a third generation uh, Howard grad. I believe it, it goes way back, right? Yes. Back. Yes. My, one of my grandfathers uh, went to Howard University in 1916 mm. and the other went in 19, I think 17, my father's my um, father's father and my father's father was on the first Howard University football team. Really? And they never met. 
my two grandfathers never met um, at Howard. They only met once my mother and father met wow. at Howard. And <laughs> they um, had a lot in common to catch up on, I guess. The two yeah. grandfathers. <laughs> so my mother's name was Valeria Jean and my father's name was Valerian. So at Howard, everybody kept saying, oh, Valeria, have you met Valerian? Valerian, have you met Valeria? And <laughs> that's great. And they met, they dated, they fell in love, they graduated. My dad went off to the service and when he came back, they got married. And so here I am. Wow. And just think, I'm just, it's just boggling my mind. You said your grandfather started at Howard in 1916. Like, think of that was like D.W. Griffith doing intolerance. Yes. And like, like, I mean, think about how much the industry has changed, even in your three generations at Howard. That That's just blowing my mind. Oh, my God. So he he left Baton Rouge, the Baton Rouge area to go for his freshman year. And he worked his way through college as a waiter. And in the summers, he would work on the trains as a waiter. Uh but he never returned home to Louisiana until he got his residency because he couldn't afford to go home. Yeah. And when he wasn't working, he was uh, in the summertime, he was working to save money for the semester. So it was that kind of, you know, for him, he always wanted to be a doctor. So that was his determination, the same kind of passion, but he actually had to pay for all of his tuitions and all of that and support himself because his parents weren't able. So, you know, it was that kind of work ethic, I think, mm -hmm. that I appreciate so much that I think maybe um, when it comes to the work, I'm not saying I'm good at, you know, as good at kitchens and laundries, but I do, I do well. But the work ethic uh, that was instilled in me by that kind of dedication, you know, it it I'm so proud of him still, you know, and and how well he did. But can you imagine leaving home for your freshman year and never returning home to your resident? I mean, in that time, family members passed away. Yeah, you know, children were born. But that was the dedication and that was that dedication that allowed me the indulgence of being able to envision, you know, oh, I want to be an actress, you know, when I grow up. Wow. And and you did it with the same work ethic. It carried down through the generations to you and, and you made it happen. Um, and you I believe you were working in speaking of D.C., like right after Howard, you did the Black Repertory Company, right? And, and well, actually, I did. I was a part of the D.C. Black Repertory Company um, during some of the time that I was at Howard. OK, so I was really burning the candle at both ends, you know, mm -hmm. um, because at that time. Um, the D.C. Black Repertory Company was just starting. And so all of the classes and rehearsals were late at night. I wasn't a part of everything. I was a fledgling member in the beginning, you know. Um, so I would do the workshops and things that went we into the evening and be up first thing in the morning to attend my classes at Howard. Um, so, yes, I did both. 
Wow. That's a uh, burning at both ends, uh, juggling it there. That's crazy. Um, and then I know you start, you know, you start getting theater roles. And uh, did I read that you you acted across the great Alfre Woodard in what was it called? For Color Girls Who've Considered Suicide slash When yes. like, the Rainbow is Enough in 1977. Uh, memories of, of working with her. And, and what do you think you taught each other? <laughs> oh, you know, uh, it was just so not only uh teaching each other in the way of the work, but really building beautiful camaraderie and support systems because our friendship blossomed from doing it. And also Carol Maillard was in that company who is one of the original founding members of Sweet Honey and the Rock. Mm. Aku Kadogo, uh, who was in the original cast on Broadway was also in that company. Ruthanna Graves, uh, uh, Mary Alice, who just passed, who was a, just a dynamic uh, theater actress in New York. So it was all, and we just had such a wonderful camaraderie um, in Australia. But with um, Alfrey, I came to uh, Los Angeles after for, because we did for color girls uh, in Los Angeles also. And we ended up being such dear friends that I was on her wedding committee and helped to plan her wedding and all. <laughs> so the friendship was amazing. And just seeing her focus as an actress and her um, versatility as an actress, because I mean, many people don't know that, Alfrey is a wonderful comedic actress as well. Mm -hmm. And so in For Color Girls, you know, you got to use all of those chops, the drama, the comedy and all, you know, can you imagine nothing on a stage, no props, nothing, just a big rose that is the backdrop for these monologues. And you had to create each image you had to create the story, the unfoldment of the story and all the characters. So within that, you know, a lot of times there was a, a lot of uh, comedic moments. And Alfrey was just, you know, brilliant at at all of them. And so were all of the other actresses. It was a, you know, when they say a company of actors, it truly was a company of actors together. You know, through a sense of the word, the company. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I mean, creating, cre creating it from in the air. I mean, the, just nothing. You had no props, one costume, yeah. um, no, no sets, none of that. It was all your, I think that's why Intozaki called it a choreo poem, because it was all just through your body and through your voice that you brought these stories to life. Wow. All in the performance. Uh, well, you work with Alfred Woodard in, on stage in, in, as in all the, the whole company, like you're saying. But then you start working, uh, you pivot into some some TV work and, and talk about working with some amazing actors and actresses as well there because you make your debut, your screen debut on Hill Street Blues on NBC. Like, I, I gosh, I 
I think that still might hold the record for winning best drama Emmy like four times. Like it's, it's iconic stuff. Uh, but then I want to talk about uh, you're you're with Denzel in 86 in the George McKenna story, that TV movie. And then with Oprah and Cicely Tyson in the ABC miniseries, The Women of Brewster Place in 89. Like, um, you know, similar to like you said for Alfred, like what do you what is the the dynamic and the camaraderie with with Denzel and Oprah and Sicily? I mean, these are these are like Mount Rushmore folks, and you're working with them. <laughs> oh, it was amazing because I remember when <clears throat> we were doing the George McKenna story, Denzel, because I was so enamored because it was right at the budding of of so many opportunities for him. And he was doing such wonderful work. And at the time, he got the offer to play the activist Stephen Biko, who was, a, I, I believe it was Stephen Biko, you know, a South African activist, you know, against apartheid. And I was like, wow, he's like getting offers to do stuff now. That's how I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. I was just so enamored that. I was actually working with an actor who, you know, with whom you could actually envision, you could see that moment when the industry pivots and says, you're it. Yeah. You're You're talking about cry freedom. And then, yeah. And then, of course, glory came a couple of years later. Yeah. Yes. And then glory came a couple of years later. But it was just so inspiring to me to be uh fly on the wall and see all of this unfolding you know right there and even though it was a a small television movie we did uh it we did really good work in it you know um so we did the good work there working with just a amazing actor and also being close up for four or five weeks to see how Hollywood was embracing him and all of the opportunities that were coming his way. That really was exciting to see. Yeah. And what about Oprah and Cicely real quick? Oh, Oprah, my goodness. She had just done the color purple um, and had all of the accolades. And um, I auditioned for this um the women of Brewster place and got the part. And I tell you that part and the work that Oprah and I did together, it's, I think it's rare to see that kind of intimacy between females on screen. And it was like, you know, this woman who, loses her child, loses everything. And that my character, young and and Oprah, who just held her up and nurtured her and took care of her through such hard times. Now, again, doing the women of Brusa plays with Cicely Tyson, um, and uh there were so many wonderful actresses in that piece again it was an ensemble of of very strong very dynamic women um there's that iconic photograph of all of us sitting on those urban you know brick steps 
uh, for the poster. But again, it was just the the dynamism. I mean, now and we, you know, see it now still, but it was just uh, incredible. You felt so strong, you know, and that there's power in numbers, you know. And so to have all these Black women with different storylines, um, some controversial, you know, at the time, um, because there was a, a, a gay couple um, and uh, an unwed mother who just kept having children, you know, um, and so there were these stories were so interesting and it was just I just felt so, so blessed to be there and be, you know, a member and another. So both that we've talked two that we've talked about so far were ensembles of women um, telling our stories. And that was um, a great gift early in my career, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have to ask before we run about your big Emmy win for the HBO movie, the Josephine Baker story in uh, 1991. What was it like to, to know that, you know, you're forever tied, you know, people will think of your face and your performance when they're thinking of such an iconic performer like but you're, you're sort of inextricably linked now after that role. Well. How much of an honor is that? <laughs> it is was just the highest and most treasured moment of my career to get the role and the audition process was six months long. Um, and then to have the honor of being the vessel that carried the story of such a dynamic woman, uh, the press, uh, poster and the whatever you call that tagline or whatever it was like before Marilyn before Madonna there was Josephine wow. you know and so now we can add to that before Marilyn before Madonna before Beyonce before Rihanna before Taylor there was Josephine oh, because that's so she, well said because she gave them that big show, you know? Absolutely. Josephine gave that big show with the costume changes and whatever technical, uh, whatever was at the forefront of, you know, technology and stagecraft at the time. And she was an activist and stood up for what she believed in. Um, you know, so... Uh, so she had it all, you know, Absolutely. she had a heart, she had the soul, she had the courage, she had the glamour, <laughs> she had the talent. And so to be chosen to play that and, and at the time, you know, after, during the shooting of that, you know, I fell in love with the director. Um, we married and um, it was a short lived marriage, but what? A gift that on the night that I won the Emmy, he also won an Emmy. 
And I also got one of my greatest prizes. I had just given birth to our daughter, Grace, uh, two weeks before. So um, it was a spectacular night. I think it was the only husband and wife team to win Emmys in those best actress, best director for the same project. I think, I don't think that's ever happened before or again or since. That is an amazing uh, trivia fact for our listeners. If they're out at trivia, drop that one on and blow people's <laughs> minds. <laughs> All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. All right. And then, of course, and so now you're an Emmy winner and, and now we're in the 90s. And, of course, a lot of your fans will remember... Eve's Bayou in 97, directed by Casey Lemons. I actually saw her. Gosh, she came to the Middleburg Film Festival in Virginia with uh, her Harriet Tubman biopic. Harriet a couple in 2019, a couple years ago. Yeah. And and at that point, Eve's Bayou had kind of taken on like uh, this mystique of its own, you know, how <laughs> many many years later. But uh, yeah, yes. just tell me, memories of playing, you know, um, Journey Smollett's mom, Roz. And I mean, that's a heavy movie, but but uh, but an all timer. Yes. I You know. Let me just say, I'll uh, just take a little diversion here. And that is, I'm just so fortunate that I have been a part of several numerous classic projects, projects that stand the test of time. That's such a blessing. Um, And Eve's Bayou was one of those. So our memories, well, we shot it over across the lake in Covington, I think it was, uh, across the lake, uh, Lake Pontchartrain, that is. And I tell you, one of the most um, sought after uh, products on that film was the Avon um, uh, Skin So Soft because it was a great (laughs) mosquito repellent. Oh yeah, mosquitoes! Out, of course, on the bayou. Oh my gosh, they brought eat you guys alive. Oh my goodness, you could, you know, I mean, people would give away their firstborn to get. <laughs> I can just imagine Sam L. Jackson getting yes. mosquitoes like, off of this. And, <laughs> and we had—I don't know why—we had like a limited amount of it, but everybody's like, "Who's got the skin so soft?" You know, we. <laughs> So I remember that. I remember, you know, having to remind myself over and over again, do not everyone don't put your lunch tray outside because the um, alligators would come up. 
like the baby alligators would scurry up and get it. Um, so that was the logistics of that particular topography. But the, uh, you know, for me, it was very profound because I come from a family of physicians in Louisiana. Um, I had an aunt that very much remind me of Roz, uh, Aunt Lane, Elaine Bryant. Uh, and so it was giving honor for me to women um, from a different time, women from the 1950s who, you know, didn't always you know, protest who didn't, who didn't have the example of being able to, um, being able to really maybe completely speak their minds, being able to uh, assert themselves in situations that were uncomfortable for them. So I remember always saying to, you know, because her husband, but for people who haven't seen it, her husband was, um, unfaithful to her repeatedly and so but she still wanted to keep the family together you know and be in her shirtwaist dresses and 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 so she kind of withstood all of that and I remember saying to Casey the one thing we I said Casey I just need a scene where I can really cuss him out and let him have it yeah and she said no, 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 you can't. That it's Roz is not you. Just trust me. And I was really got upset with her. Um, and she said, Trust me, there's power in your silence and your stillness. Mm. And you'll you'll thank me later. And when I and so as I've, you know, every now and then revisited, and it was the 20 fifth anniversary was it would it yeah it last year yeah because of 97 yes. right yeah and yeah so, so yeah, tribeca you know honored us and had a screening and there were several around the country and so as i watched it i said god she was so right i'm so happy that she didn't allow me to do that but you know we didn't who knew that journeys you know we we knew that there were all these wonderful child actors she was on but, full house. <laughs> yes. Yes. But but who knew that yeah. what would happen to Journey's career and to Megan's career and actually the young man that the little boy that I had on my hip in the first scene when I um walked down the stairs to Sam um was Journey's brother, Jake Smollett. Yeah. So we were all out there on the bayou um, making this magical piece of work. And none of us, I mean, I think Casey knew in her mind that it had the legs to stand the test of time. Um, and with Sam, of course. And that was such a big departure for him. Yeah. That yeah. role was such a departure from all the... Um, the the really edgy characters. I mean, because in this film, he wasn't he he was a cheater, but he was very smooth and very 
elegant and charming, charming, charming. So it wasn't Pulp Fiction. (laughs) It was not Pulp Fiction, you know, no profanity. And it it was such a departure that, but I think Casey had an idea, but none of us knew that 25 years later, internationally, because in 1990, when it came out, whatever that year was, it was 97. It was one of the, um, best independent films of the year however we got no oscar nards at all um but uh i think the independent spirit awards gave it a nod um but yes it was just an honor you know and everyone is still doing what we do everybody yeah well and diane carroll was in that too like i'm looking at oh my god And Diane Carroll was amazing. That for her was a departure as well, right? Because she uh, wasn't playing the, you know, glamorous, you know, sort of diva, descending stairs and all of that. She (laughs) actually, she was so beautiful. And, you know, she would kind of touch up her makeup, you know, after it was done and she'd come out it'd be even more beautiful. And so that's how it ended up that they figured out she should have this tribal paint on white paint on her face because she was just so beautiful. She it, it was hard to to make her this this um, soothsayer, fortune teller, card reader, older woman because her beauty was, you know, working against her. And that's how it ended up that she had on the white, the white uh, pa- face mask stuff. Yeah, this wasn't Carmen Jones or Claudine. or <laughs> Oh, 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 oh. A- absolutely not. No. And and we keep and we also just final point on that movie, because we could honestly we could do a whole podcast on just that movie, but we won't. But uh, yeah, but and, but Casey Lemons for a directorial debut, she she was just Clarice Starling's, you know, uh, Jodie Foster's sidekick in Silence of the Lambs as an actress. No one knew she could direct a movie like that. So. Yes. Yes. And she walked around with this story for years and she did a sizzle real of it a short film of it and just kept trying to sell it for years and never could and when sam signed on that gave her the opportunity to get the funding wow well we're and we're all cinema history is grateful that she did <laughs> all right well oh, yes i uh i definitely want to get to greenleaf but before i do one more really quick because similar to how you said uh, similar how you were saying Alfre Woodard, you know, doesn't get enough credit for comedy and, you know, drama roles and all that. But uh, same for you, because but after Eve's Bayou, which obviously was a real heavy movie, um, you w- went on a run working with some great comedic actors and showing your range on the comedy side. Let me rattle them really quick. Martin Lawrence <laughs> in A Thin Line Between Love and Hate. You work with Danny Glover and Joe Pesci in Gone Fishing, Julia Roberts and Stepmom, Chris Rock in Head of State. Tyler Perry and Medea's Family Reunion, and then all the great actresses in uh, The Women as well. You know, Meg Ryan and who all was yeah. in it. David Mendes, Jada Pinkett, Cloris Leachman, Annette Benning. I mean, come on. So, yeah, just talk to fight for your comedic side for a second. I just I listed a bunch, but I mean, that's proof right there. You can do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I didn't know that I could do it. Um, 
my acting teacher, David Legrand, uh, used to always say, all right, I want you to work on comedy. I want you to work on comedy. And we never got to doing the scene st study in comedy. But little by little, I'm just gaining more um, confidence in my comedic abilities. Now, I, I will say that in many of those uh, movies, the movies were comedies, and I happened to be the straight person to the, to the comedian, you know? Um, so I, I was the straight, I, I was the, I was the straight, straight man to the, the, the co comedian, right. but still I got laughs, you know? And one of the things that my acting teacher, David Legrand told me that is so important is that, you know, there's humor in reality. Right. You know, in, in in playing it straight, there's humor. You know, there's slapstick and, um, you know, comedy where, you know, okay, I got to land the joke, the bump bump kind of, of comedic timing. But then there's just the comedic timing of people being honestly who they are and they're just friggin' funny. I mean, <laughs> in real life, you, you see that all the time, you know? Um you know, so somebody walking down down the street and just like a simple exit, say an acting exercise, somebody walking down the street and getting gun stuck on the bottom of their shoe, right? right? And trying to get rid of it. Well, in that physical comedy of something that is totally realistic and real, it can be really funny. Yeah. You know, it sucks if for the person in real life, but <laughs> if you are actually the, you know, the character of Charlie Chaplin, it's it's frustrating. But for us, the audience, it's hilarious. <laughs> well, exactly. So we're that for the is, banana peel. <laughs> so that is humor, right? Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite comedic rom com rom coms is uh, something's got to give, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nancy Myers. With uh, yes, Nancy Myers, Diane Keaton, and Jack Nicholson. I mean, and they were never playing for the laughs, but it was so funny to see these middle aged people trying to find their way to each other. You know what I mean? So funny when this dude who's loving all these young women, you know, has a heart attack or a stroke or whatever it was, you know, and is in the hospital and still trying to be all the bon vivant and you know, gets up in the hospital and has this nightgown on. It's open up the bed. I mean, it's just funny. Life is funny. Yeah. And if you, we but you find... play it straight, you play it straight and it's funnier. Yes. Yes. So that is what I've been discovering because as an artist, I'm still a work in progress. There's still a lot of growth I can make. And with every age and deck, with every year that you gain, there's different things that you can't do and things that you can do, you know? And so um, I'm I'm working in that area a lot more now, feeling confident that approaching a circumstance in with with reality that there's humor in it, you know. That's crazy and admirable to hear that you know, however many you know decades in now, you still think that you can grow and learn. That that isn't that's oh I know I, I I that's not amazing. I not that I can I am you am, you and, are yeah. and I um I have a lot of a lot of things to explore still you know.
Absolutely. Well, that I've never done. We can't wait to see all the other work. Um, but let's let's wrap it up. Wrap it up with one more. We have to hit Greenleaf because that's like one of the most uh, the biggest roles, at least in recent years, that everyone knows you from Lady May Greenleaf. Uh, I guess that's on the own network. So that's full circle from well, it's Women of Brewster it's, Place. It, or it was. It's on um, it's on uh, Netflix now. People can Netflix. stream it and watch it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It it premiered on own, but went directly to Netflix. So it's one of their uh, well-watched programs that people look at all the time. Well, how big we had Keith David on and he was just singing your praises. But, why, uh, you know, repay, repay him the favor because, uh, you know, you two are the, the big. Let me tell show. you the <laughs> best television husband that anyone could ever have. And I might add the most successful marriage I ever had. Yeah, way it better was, than the Sam Jackson movie. <laughs> yeah, it was so lovely. Uh, in five years, we never had any tension, never had an argument or a, dis a creative disagreement. He was so easy to work with. And I think that is what, and, and I mean, this golden voice mm -hmm. and like an, icon in the world of voiceover oh yeah like a ken burns but, pbs voice you know <laughs> yes yes but just such a such a thespian you know and it was the easiest work working with him i mean we just it just i don't know i i i feel like it kind of had that magic of like um and i'm not bragging but just as a thespian and working with someone like the beauty that Ruby D and Ozzy Davis had together, you know, mm, good call. Uh, good comparison. Just kind of very classic, like equals. When you looked at our scenes, you were looking at two artists who were equal in ability and, 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 and heart and all of that. And he was just such a gentleman. I mean, so supportive. I, and we just, we'd had the best experience working together. He's, he's such a noble, like funny, quirky, wonderful guy. And he would, he, I think he knows every classic ever written in, 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 in the way of classic music. And he would sing all the time and he'd tell jokes. But by the fourth season, I'd be like, he'd start telling a joke. And I'd say, okay, Keith, I'm going to turn you over to um, to our, our day player here because I've heard this one like three times. So we actually <laughs> became like, and he's like, oh, well. Uh, and he would just turn and start telling it to somebody else. Yeah. I loved uh, Keith. Your, your so, voice is Keith. iconic, but I've heard this three times. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Keith, how are you doing today? The better for you asking. So, and that was his standard. I mean, he's just like a classic. Awesome. A classic man and an incredible artist. 
so awesome. Well, you didn't do too bad yourself in that. You won two NAACP Image Awards for that role. So uh, everyone check it out on Netflix. Uh, I have a feeling uh, that'll be watched for years to come. Uh, well, Lynn Whitfield, thank you so much for making so much time for us. I can't believe you stuck around and talked so long. We covered a lot of ground. I really appreciate it. Well, you know what? Let me compliment you. It's just so marvelous when you have one of these chats with someone who is so um, has all the frames of reference. So you can just cut to the chase of of the stories, you know, and right. filling in. So it was delightful to be interviewed by such an informed interviewer host, you know. Yeah, you just we love movies. You know what I mean? It makes it easier when everyone involved loves loves the movies and TV. Well, there you go. There you go. There All you right. Go. Well, and I I think now more than ever, you know, we need to turn to our art and just, um, you know, there's such beauty in storytelling and such growth for humanity just in storytelling. You know, to what we do want to be and what we don't want to be. We can use art to help to change the world. Absolutely. Well, help inspire the next generation of those storytellers and filmmakers by coming to the Prince George's Film Festival. It's going to run September 28th through October 1st. And on that last day, on Sunday, October 1st, you will hear a great Q&A with the legendary Lynn Whitfield. Hey, thank you so much for, for doing this. This was an honor. Oh, you're quite welcome to thank you. I hope you come to the luncheon. Yes, everybody listening to this has to come. Come on, ever get it? No excuse. Get out there on the first, everybody. <laughs> okay. okay. Sounds All good. All right. Okay. God bless. Thank you. Bless you too. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.